One of the cool parts about lacrosse is that there are people who have grown up with the game and then go on to make it their life's work. Maybe not as a player, although there certainly are options to keep playing as you get older, but I'm really talking about the people whose connection to the sport draws them back into it, not just as a hobby, but as the very thing that defines them. There are towns across this country that have benefited from these dedicated lacrosse disciples. In some cases, it's from people who never left home and have made it their business to give back to the lacrosse culture in the very place where they grew up. Then you have the Johnny Appleseeds of the lacrosse world, people who spread the gospel of the game far and wide, from San Diego to Seattle to Dallas to Atlanta. Then there are those who have stayed closer to home, but for one reason or another, they find themselves in nearby towns other than where they grew up, with fledgling programs that don't have the tradition or the pedigree that was in place where they originally came to love and learn the game. And it's these people that might be the most admirable of the bunch. The people who take the game in a place where it has gained little or no foundation over the years and make the effort to build it from the ground up. I'm Woody Thompson, and this is Lax's Life. Brian McLaughlin was a two-sport All-American in both soccer and lacrosse at Wilton High School. He went on to play both sports at the University of Notre Dame and was a two-times all-conference midfielder on the lacrosse team. After graduating as one of the Irish's all-time leaders in points for a midfielder, Brian spent four years as an assistant coach in South Bend and then three more years at the University of Massachusetts where he also earned his master's degree in sports science. And that's when I met Brian. We worked together at a sports marketing agency for a little over nine years. And then Brian found his way back to the game he loved. After a brief stint as the head boys lacrosse coach at Stratford High School, the 2020 season would have been his first at the helm of crosstown rival Bunnell High School. Brian coaches club lacrosse on both the girls' and boys' side, and true to his nature, brings a very grounded approach to his involvement in the sport. And Brian McLaughlin is our guest on Lax's Life today. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Woody, good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. All right, so listen, I figured we'd start off talking about a little bit of your progression. Um, you know, a Wilton guy uh, goes to Notre Dame primarily to play soccer, ends up back uh, playing a big role, really, on the lacrosse team there uh, in the early 90s. And then um, when you came back home, graduated, you're in the corporate world for a while. And then for those of us who love the game of lacrosse, it's, uh, it's a blessing to have you back in lacrosse knee-deep. So you live in Stratford, you're the head coach at Stratford High, and you make the decision to go cross town to Bunnell, uh, one of their, you know, well, probably their biggest rival high schools, seeing as how they're neighbors. Um, you know, what prompted that, and, and what's the transition been like? Uh, it's been a challenge, certainly. Um, I have not made many friends on the Stratford High side doing it, but uh, you know what the real reason for it, Woody, was because... Um, you know, I had 19 players on my uh, team at Stratford High and uh, in my last year, and one was a senior, and nine of them were juniors. Um, so that would have been so. The class of 2020 at Stratford High had nine rising seniors. Um, the opportunity opened at Bunnell, 
and the only reason I took it was because I thought the long-term viability of the program was better at Stra- at Bunnell, excuse me, because I had a, a pretty good pulse on the youth program. I had coached uh, a couple of teams in the Stratford Youth Program, and I knew where the kids were coming up and where they were districted. Um, and like I said, I didn't make many friends by doing it because, you know, after a couple years at Stratford, I had just implemented a system and things were going well. And now all of a sudden I kind of leave and go cross town. And I, again, it was really, people don't see this, but I saw it as for the benefit of the sport long term in Stratford. So, you know, let's let's actually backtrack a bit. Uh, in my day uh, in the Connie years, um, one of our great rivalries in youth for Newtown was with Stratford. And the program was run by a friend of mine named, you may know him, named Pat Corcoran. Uh, and, yep. and Pat's son, Patrick, and his son, Ryan, yep. and uh, kids like Lance Hunt and, and uh, the, you know, the Mulligans. And, you know, really, uh, there were some excellent players coming out of that youth program. And there were a lot of kids in the youth program. Uh, what are the numbers like in Stratford youth right now? And is that what led to 19 kids on the Stratford high team? Or is it just a general uh, attrition over the years? Well, I think it's been a combination of a bunch of things. Um, The Stratford youth numbers have been down um, the past few years. Um, You know, juniors and seniors at the youth level have been able to field teams. But you will get, you know, the, at the younger ages, it seems to be taking longer and longer to get kids into the sport. Um, so we might not have a bantam team one year or, you know, we're combining, you know, the, the fifth and sixth graders, you know, into one team. Um, so it's been a little bit of a challenge from a numbers perspective. Um, to be honest, and well, and then when you look at Stratford and you get two high schools, and so you have a, a senior team at the youth level that's barely got, you know, 15 players on it, and now you're splitting those kids uh, into two, you know, sending them to two different high schools, and then you throw the St. Joe's and the Fairfield Preps into the mix. Now all of a sudden your class of, you know, eight or seven goes down to four or five, and, you know, whether those kids are real, you know, long-term lacrosse players and really passionate about the sport or whether they're just, you know, playing, you know, to, to do something and, and yeah. might not be as athletic as, as other kids. That's fine. I'm happy to take those kids. But in terms of growing a program and trying to, you know, look, there's a difference between building a program and trying to build a winning program. Um, I come from a little bit of a, a winning background, meaning, you know, Look, I played lacrosse at Wilton High School. You know, I played played at the Division One level, and I even coached at the Division One level. And so, I have a little bit different mentality. I love to be competitive, and I love to win. But at the same time, I I think these days, especially where I am, it's you have to take a little bit, look at it through a little bit different lens. You know, yeah. you want to get, you got to get the numbers up. You have to get kids involved. You have to get them to start loving the sport. Um, and so, I've had to change my a lot of my approach and my coaching style and, and my temperament um, over the past few years. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about uh, lacrosse culture uh, and, you know, I, I'm, you know, haven't made any bones about it. I'm a Long Island guy and it was easy for me because that's just was always part of the culture in my town and in virtually every town that surrounded me. You know, in Connecticut, uh, outside of Fairfield County, especially, um, you know, there is lacrosse culture and it's been it's been slow to develop over the past, you know, 40 years uh, since I got out of high school. But I think, um, you know, what I always point to in wonderment is New Fairfield and what has happened in New Fairfield. Because when I moved to Connecticut in 1998 and I watched New Fairfield High School play and, and Marty was the coach, uh, yep. I was, you know, I was aghast at the quality of play and what he was able to develop in you know roughly 10 years you know in, in 19 uh, 2008 was the the big cj costabile senior year when that team was with sean macy and players that were just you know incredible and they would have run rough shot over everybody is my theory that year but that town has developed and really this is marty's doing i think to a great extent with a lot of support but they've developed a lacrosse culture um, you know, I, I like to think that in Darien or even in Wilton, it's it's easy because it's 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 part of, you know, the people who live there. But these guys developed it out of nothing, and yep. when you had when you had the, you know Pat Corcoran and and his group running it, and you had a group of guys that were growing up together, that's like a groundswell. And you know, you just Stratford may be missing that groundswell of kids who have decided that lacrosse is their thing because God knows the town has athletes. They're successful in other sports. Um, you know, I remember days when, you know, Bunnell's football team was always super strong I and mean, they've always got, they've always got great players. And the challenge is just taking those athletes, showing them the beauty of the game and trying to instill in them at a young age that, hey, this is something that's great to do in the spring as opposed to sitting in the dugout chewing sunflower seeds. Yeah, and, you know, uh, we found Woody, you know, like I said, I've been in, I haven't been involved in high school sports here in Stratford since I've been here, but I followed it to some degree. Um, I found that it's very cyclical, and, you know, the two high school thing um, has certainly played a role in that. And then when you have the successes of the schools like Fairfield Prep and St. Joe's, which are right down the street from us, um, they they will they are not afraid to come in and, and grab some some of the higher the better athletes. So it's it's been a challenge. We are you know we are noticing or you know I, this is hard to say. And you know I I know you mentioned you know Stratford's had some successes in the past, but I, I question what the athlete where all, all the athletes are. You know, like I certainly have kids on my team who can play and who are who are athletic, but it seems like the number of kids or the percentage of kids who are athletes in I don't want to generalize it and say this generation, but in this cycle, um, they seem to be doing other things because I've talked to baseball coaches, I've talked to football coaches, you know, in town, um, both at Stratford and Bunnell, and it's been a challenge just getting good players to come out or good athletes to come out. And, you know, you might get the kid, and I don't know if this is a product of, of, of these, these kids nowadays focusing on one sport. Um, you know, uh, the club aspect of, 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 of sports all across um, different platforms has 
totally, you know, affected numbers. Yeah, but we can go ahead. We can go ahead. Club coaches who are telling kids, you got to play nine months of the year. You have to get this exposure. We have these tournaments in the offseason. Let's definitely poke poke the finger there at basketball and soccer because I think that's the preponderance of this. That's, you know, kids may want to go to a football passing camp in the spring and and they may, you know, they may play fall baseball. But the fact of the matter is that soccer, the pressure on a kid to play soccer year-round or you're just not going to be any good. And the AAU basketball scene takes kids out of other sports. But, you know, participation in general in in high school sports is down, you know, per capita. Yeah. It's not just a population thing. So I think there's, Absolutely. Def- there's definitely something there about kids doing other things. And, you know, certainly I don't know whether, you know, video games are to blame or the, the rising... Uh, you know, instance of, you know, obesity and, and young adults and things like that. God knows pot kettle black can't really throw stones inside my glass house there. So I'll be careful with that one. But it is one of the challenges. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time trying to grab kids off the football and the soccer field from the fall and tell them that lacrosse would be a great sport for them. And, uh, you know, football people get very anxious as kids get older about uh, a kid playing a sport where he's going to run and run and run and run. And if he's a bigger kid, he's going to lose weight. And is he in the weight room enough? Is he bulking up? And then the soccer people, you know, love the game. I love soccer, but I, I absolutely hate what they've done um to to this this single sport mentality and we certainly don't have the world cup victories to prove that it's a good good way for us to go yeah and you know and you mentioned it before um you know about you know Stratford missing the groundswell i think i think it's a culmination <clears throat> excuse me it's a culmination of a lot of things you know you got the two high schools you got the private schools um you know my my one of my best friends, Dave Estrella, is the guy who runs the youth program. And I've been, you know, involved with him. He lives down the street from me. You know, I've been involved with him for the past five or six years on how do we attract more kids into the program? How do we build Stratford Youth Lacrosse? And we have tried to do anything and everything from, you know, donating equipment to free tuition to summer clinics to off-season camps to you know, working with the community center um, in town, you know, anything to just get kids to put a stick in their hand. Because once they put the stick in their hand, then they, then they can learn, learn for themselves and, and feel how fun it can be. And now all of a sudden you throw the running component into it. And, you know, with guys you get to say, okay, you, now you get to hit people, and yeah. you know, which obviously you can't do with the youth age. But, you know, they see it and they, they can gravitate to it. But... For one reason or another, we're just not getting the numbers, I used to, uh, and it's frustrating. I used to go up to linemen uh, in youth football after games, and and you know the kids who would play like you know eight downs total, and say, uh, "So, what position do you want to play in football?" And they look at you and they say, "I want to play running back." And I said, "Man, I'll tell you what, play lacrosse because at some point everybody's a running back." And yeah, uh, exactly. I, I think that was successful in many occasions. Uh, and, you know, the reality of it is we can't in this discussion, in this topic, we cannot discount the role of the parent and parents both, uh, you know, through their actions, making kids disinterested in sports 
because it's way too intense and, and judgmental. But it's also, you know, a parent encouraging a, a kid to try something new or uh, or maybe something even that his friend is doing uh, that he would like to do, but that the parent doesn't really understand because they were a baseball guy or the kid's a good soccer player and they don't want to not have that starting position come the fall. Brian, I wanted to talk a little bit about your, your background. As I said, you know, uh, Wilton High School uh, outstanding soccer and lacrosse player. So good on you there for the, to being the two sport athlete, which I was definitely not, I was barely a one sport athlete. I've, I've come to that realization. <laughs> so you go to, you go to Notre Dame to play soccer. Um, you quickly realize that there's more to the world than soccer. And, and I'm sure, you know, you were still a standout player, uh, for the Irish, uh, on the soccer pitch, but how did lacrosse come back into the picture for you at Notre Dame? And, and what was the experience like getting there and, and then getting back into it? Um, it, it's very funny. You know, I was, I was very born in high school as to um, what I wanted to do and what I wanted to play. I was obviously recruited um, for different schools to different schools for different sports. Um, and my last my last two choices came down to uh, um, playing soccer at Notre Dame or playing lacrosse at Brown. Um, and I loved this is when Dom Sarge was there. I loved Dom. Um, you know, I, I, I really would have enjoyed playing for him. I know because that was when they had Darren Lowe and Andy Towers, and they they were a ridiculous team back then. Um, but I had set my sights on Notre Dame as a kid, and you know, had been there a bunch of times uh, throughout high school, and really um, wanted to go. So I wound up playing soccer out there. Um, the circumstances around lacrosse were a little unusual. Um, I had a tough uh, initial six months um, at, because about two weeks before leaving for leaving for uh, preseason camp, uh, my mom was diagnosed with lymphoma, um, which kind of hit me. Uh, you know, I don't know if it hit me hard or just as a youth, I didn't know how to handle it. Um, so, you know, soccer season was challenging in ways other than just on the field and dealing with a new school and dealing with a new environment. You know, now I had to worry about what was going on at home. Oh, and by the way, my parents were moving from Connecticut to California at the time. So, you know, all of it kind of culminated and, and it just made for a challenging fall season. And I had known Kevin Corrigan. He had come to see me play at Wilton. He knew I was going to Notre Dame to play soccer. He said, hey, come knock on my door when you get out there just to chat and would love to see you. And I went to go see him at the end of the fall season and um, knocked on his door and we had a great conversation and, you know, I decided like, hey, uh, I'm going to go out in January and, and start practicing with the guys and told my soccer coach who, you know, ironically was, I mean, he got, he was fine with it. Ironically, he got fired about two weeks later. So once that happened, uh, you know, I stepped on the lacrosse field in January and kind of never looked back. Um, you know, I, I was I was able to have some success as a freshman out there. Um, I had gotten my feet wet as far as being in school and being a freshman and knowing what the expectations were. And plus, I had been through a, a competitive season already, so I knew kind of what to expect with the upcoming spring. Um, we weren't a great team, but we had some good players. You know, we had some kids from prep, and I was, you know, I think the I think I was the second Wilton kid to go to Notre Dame. Um, but they had kids from good schools and, 
You know, so we, you know, throughout my four years there, it was a pretty big progression in terms of where the sport went. Um, Kevin was in his second year of coaching, and, you know, by the time, you know, the year after I graduated was the, uh, or two years after I graduated was the year we beat Duke for, in the first round of the playoffs. So it, it was it was great to be a part of that Um and, you know, something I look back on with a lot of great memories, and I'm, and I'm glad it worked out the way it did. I realize now that bringing up the name C.J. Costabile probably uh, stung you a little bit there. Yeah, you could you could have chosen, you know, maybe a different one to go there with, but I'm fine with it, you know. It was a, it was, that, was, that was a great game, and obviously was rooting hard for Notre Dame. I think that was, what, 14, 2014? I lose track um, of the years, Brian, as they uh, as they pass me by. But I, I think we all looked at it. You know, I remember watching CJ as a seventh grader uh, running up and down the field against uh, like a Newtown, you know, junior team, and was like, "Oh, oh, good lord, <laughs> this this young man uh, is very talented." We didn't have any. We had yeah, some good you know, players, those, but those we didn't kids have... those kids stand tend to stand out even at the young ages and. You know, it, it's, it, he was a phenomenal player, and, and you know, Duke certainly deserved to win it that year. I can't, can't take anything away from him. No doubt. All right, so, you know, I, we haven't even brought up, uh, you know, the reason why you didn't actually get to coach your first season at Bunnell. And, uh, you know, this, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the impact that it's had on spring sports and probably is continuing to have on, on summer, I know that there are – uh, there are tournaments for club teams that are taking place. So, um, you know, how, how those are impacted by some of the recent spikes that we've been seeing in the past, you know, week or, week or two weeks uh, in yep. some of those states. Uh, I know you're, you're involved in, in the club game. And, uh, you know, what are, what's, what's your t- club's uh, position on what's happening this summer? Well, right now, you know, um, so I've done the club thing for about three or four years now. I think this might be the fourth year I've really had the club in existence. Um, and there are some there are some unique challenges that go along with having a summer club lacrosse program based in Stratford. Um, you know, I have not had. You know, it's not like I'm um, charging kids. You know, three grand a year, and you know, I'm, I'm getting double A players and. You know, we're, we're traveling and playing against the Team 91s of the world. It's a little bit of a lower tier level, which is totally fine. I get kids who, you know, want to want to keep playing, and that's absolutely uh, – I love coaching them, and we have a great time doing it. Um, this year, as you mentioned, it, it has been a little bit more of a challenge. Um, some of the tournaments that maybe we would have done in the past either are canceled or – um, I'm getting a lot of, not a lot of pushback, but some questions from parents like, are we doing this? You know, do we really need to go and stay overnight? Um, Connecticut has kind of taken, or at least a lot of the club teams, uh, myself included, have kind of taken the approach like, let's try and stay as local as possible, uh, meaning stay in state, um, try and find those one-day tournaments that will limit um, the you know, first of all, the cost, but also the overnights and the hotel stays that, you know, parents and families might be more concerned about. 
um, and really just try and give kids some type of, you know, playing experience that they're still going to get something out of it. They want to play against other kids. They want to practice during the week, um, you know, and, and so that's, you know, basically what I'm trying to provide for them now, um, you know, in terms of the number of tournament days and, you know, a, a lot of that is still up in the air because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in four weeks, much less, um, you know, next week. You know, the governor might come down and say, you know, we need to shut things down again or, you know, all sports are off. Who, who knows? Yeah. So I we're mean... trying to tread lightly with this, Wood, but at the same time, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to still provide some type of experience because kids, you know, kids haven't played lacrosse in, you know, uh, over a year. My son commented that it was like everybody tore their ACL at once. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, it's weird. I, I wonder why, especially for programs like like, you know, what's going on in Stratford or or other towns where maybe it's not about recruiting and it's not about playing on the most elite team possible. But, you know, when I grew up, there were summer leagues. And, you know, yeah, it was primarily uh, town-based. But I'm not sure why we can't get together, you know, eight or ten uh, teams, whether it's youth or high school age, and, and just simply play as, you know, a couple times a week. And you have a practice or two, and you play a game on the weekend, and, and that's that's what it is. But, you know, does it have to be about traveling to Maryland or uh, Rhode Island or upstate New York to, to have a tournament and be seen by college coaches? My theory always was I, I wanted my son to play lacrosse to get better for the next year. Certainly there came a time where I wanted, if he wanted to play in college, I wanted a, a coach to see him, but there's gotta be a better way than, than this like kind of heavy duty investment travel, you know, take your entire summer away experience. Well, and, and you know, this, this goes to the overall environment and I completely agree with you Wood, but you know, a lot of people have seen this as a complete money grab um and and parents get sold you know a bill of goods because some high profile lacrosse star all of a sudden is affiliated with this club program and now says hey come play with us and you'll play against the best and we'll make you we'll make you better and you know it's frustrating to me as somebody who runs a club program not for money I, I i barely make any money you know charging kids because you know for a lot of reasons but it's it's frustrating to you know not be able to talk to get, knock some sense into parents or kids and say just come here and play here and or play this and or join this league and you will get better and it, it it's just unfortunate that the sport has kind of moved in this direction, um, and that's where we are now. Well, listen, um, I'll I'll finish things up here by saying uh, as long as you're the guy who is working with kids and, and helping them understand the game, I have a firm belief that we're going to have better players coming out of the Brian McLaughlin system. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, knowing you as I do, uh, you are a patient, intelligent, 
uh, caring guy, and that's what all these kids, regardless of their age, need uh, in a coach and and really a mentor. So I I thank you for being a high school coach. I thank you for I thank you for being part of a youth program, and and hopefully uh, you know we can see some great results when when the kids get back on the field. Yeah, thanks, Wood. It's, it's been great talking to you. I, I obviously love the sport. I love what you're doing for the sport. Um, your involvement over the, you know, God, since, you know, you played and, and your involvement with Connie and everything, you know, uh, likewise, right back at you. We need more people like you in, in this as well. So we'll be, we'll be fine if that happens. All right. Take care, Brian. All right, Wood. Be good. I'll talk to you, man. You know, as we continue to talk to people around the state of Connecticut who mean so much to the game of lacrosse, it strikes me that it's people like Brian McLaughlin who very well could be the most important to the future growth of the game. Here he is in a town like Stratford, which, while they have had their share of quality players that went on to play at the high school and college level, the fact of the matter is none of those kids went to Stratford High School or Bunnell High School. And that's really the challenge. For those two schools to generate a competitive level of play in the SWC or even on a statewide basis, it's going to take building that foundation, sending kids to those high schools, and making sure that the legacy of what Stratford lacrosse could be starts to get built now so that in the future there's something for all those kids to shoot for when they think about themselves being lacrosse players. I'm Woody Thompson. You've been listening to Lax's Life. Thanks very much for joining us today.